0: text for the message this morning is Zephaniah. As we continue to grow in our understanding, knowledge of the Scriptures. It may have been a while since you read Zephaniah. You may even have trouble finding where it is. It's the end of the Old Testament. The books go HZ, HZ, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and then Malachi. So it's on page 788. So, remembering the context we read in Second Kings, we read here the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, son of Kedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal, the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord. Who do not seek the Lord or inquire of Him. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near, and the Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated His guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the traitors are no more, all who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill, Their goods shall be plundered and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. The fire of his jealousy All the earth shall be consumed, for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands, Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I'm pleased to introduce you to a man named Zephaniah. And I must confess that we know more about the context than Zephaniah's personal life. But there are a few things you can pick up from him without, from this written prophecy. If you read the whole prophecy together. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 1 tells us that he was a great great grandson of Hezekiah which could possibly be the Hezekiah who had served for some time as a king in Judah that Hezekiah who had humbled himself in prayer before the Lord when Jerusalem was surrounded by the Assyrian army. Sadly Hezekiah's sons Manasseh and Ammon were very very wicked men And if Zephaniah had been born in their day as a child to believing parents with royal blood, it's possible that he was kept hidden to preserve his life, which would explain the meaning of his name, which is the Lord Yahweh hides. Zephaniah showed by his writing that he was a very capable writer, and he uses a lot of creative literary forms in his prophecy. You can see it just reading that first chapter. You can find alliteration and chiasmus and hyperbole and allusions and metaphor and simile and irony and personification, repetition and inclusion. Finally, Zephaniah showed himself to be a very courageous man for he brought the word concerning impending judgment with clarity and boldness, although he would have known what happened to prophets like him because he prophesied at the same time as Jeremiah, who suffered a lot because he was speaking the truth. Now we noted already that Zephaniah was born at the time when Josiah was reigning as king in Judah. And Josiah was born to wicked parent, Ammon, and it would have been surprising perhaps for the nation to see him Already at the age of eight, when he became king, already wanting to serve the Lord. At the age of 12, he began to reform the country by destroying altars and idols. When he was 26, he started doing the work of cleaning out and restoring the temple. And when he was 28, the workers found the book of the law and they read it to him. And as he heard the law, he was convicted by the sins of the people even more, and he began a major purge of all the idolatry in the country. He organized the biggest Passover the country had ever seen or celebrated since the days of Samuel. The book of Kings summarizes the life of Josiah as a good life. We read that together in 2 Kings 23 He was a king who turned to the Lord with all his heart, but he turned to the Lord at a time when the Lord had already decreed that judgment was coming. And so the Lord persisted in his announcement that the nation would be judged for the sins of so many generations, so much idolatry in the land. That was Zephaniah's job. He had to tell them that the... Judgment Day was coming, and whether he said that before the book of the law was found or after, we have the message before us. And we might be wondering, well, what's this got to do with us today? Why should we consider an Old Testament prophecy of of doom and punishment... Although judgment isn't very popular in today's society, it's a major theme in the Scriptures and we could see that even by comparing Zephaniah's first chapter to 2 Peter chapter 3. The fact is we are sinners worshiping a very holy God. We are the covenant people of a God who rescued us by His grace and who is coming to judge the living and the dead. The good news is that the Bible doesn't only warn us about the punishment that is coming for our sins, the punishment we deserve for our sins, but it also reveals to us the way out from under the wrath for everyone who believes in Him. God is holy, 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 but He is also merciful. And in the revelation of this gospel of Jesus Christ, we see the depth of his love and his patience with us, especially as we see it in light of a chapter of Scripture like Zephaniah chapter 1. And I preach to you this gospel under the theme, the day of the Lord's anger is near and Christians don't need to fear. We see that Christ bore the weight of God's anger and Christ calls us to follow him out of danger. Now Zephaniah repeats, and you can see that if you have the prophecy there open before you he repeats that he is a messenger of yahweh the eternal lord he is saying what the lord declares the the lord in glory and majesty who was and who is and who is to come the people that he had gathered the, the, the lord of those he gathered together in his covenant And in his in the first chapter, you will notice that Zephaniah put the promise of his punishment of the entire earth on either side of his prophecy against the unfaithful of Judah. This organization, the structure of this first chapter highlights the message that the unfaithful in Judah will be enveloped in the same wrath the earth will face if they do not repent. Although the Lord has granted believers and their children the word and his promises, he treats everyone who rebels against him in the same way. And when Zephaniah lists the sins of Judah, the, the Baal worship, the respect they showed to Milcom when they swore oaths in his name, their desire to dress like the foreign nations, their superstitious right of stepping over thresholds, a Philistine practice since the Dagon fell on the threshold. Their focus on money and trade. There's a mention of the fish gate and the second quarter and mortar, which are all areas of the city where they were exchanging things and selling things. And then their practical atheism, a belief that God cannot do anything good or bad here on the earth, Zechariah or Zephaniah was showing that the people of Judah were committing the same sins as the unbelieving nation around them. They looked like the unbelieving nation. And Zephaniah's warning then is that if the people love the world more than their father in heaven, and if they have the same priorities in their work and hobbies as unbelievers then they can expect to also be included and enveloped in the same punishment when Jesus Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. Those who desire to live without God in their lives will get what they want on the day of the Lord's judgment. Those who live a worldly life while they are on earth will experience the consequences of living a worldly life when Christ returns. So Zechariah then describes the day of the Lord as a day of wrath. It's very typical prophetic language. The covenant people of God understood that ever since the beginning, the Lord had told the people that if they did not trust in him, they would not receive the blessings of the covenant, but rather the curses. And we can think of several examples. In the time of Noah, the Lord display, displayed his wrath against the violence in his days with that worldwide flood that even Peter reminds the church of. And everyone who didn't trust in the Lord and go into the ark that Noah built was swept away in the floodwaters. Then when the Lord established his covenant with Abraham, Abraham was told to cut several animals down the middle so that it could be seen in a very visible way what God would do to those who persisted in their sins. They would suffer just as those animals had suffered. In the desert, the Lord did the same thing. He made the people offer animals for sacrifices so that they would always know in their minds that if they did not trust in the Lord, to make atonement for their sins they themselves would need to die as a sacrifice and then in the time of king david the lord displayed his wrath against those who didn't serve the lord as his covenant people by having them suffer defeat in war and everyone who didn't submit to the lord's anointed king and follow him would experience the crushing destruction of their cities and their commerce, their trade. So now years later, in Zephaniah's prophecy, you'll see in this chapter, the Lord uses the same three images. He uses this image of a flood, a sacrifice, and defeat in war. And he does this to make the connection between the nation's violation of the covenant with the Lord and the coming judgment. Zephaniah was telling the people that although they had been preserved for many years by God's grace, the Lord would still bring the curses of the covenant to those who persisted in rebellion against him. They would be under the waters of the flood. They would be the sacrifice that we read about in Zephaniah chapter 1. They would be destroyed in battle. Hear about the crash in the hills and, and the wailing. God was simply carrying out what he had announced from the beginning. And since God is holy and just and faithful to his word, Zephaniah assures him not even your silver and your gold will be able to buy your way out of what is coming. Now, Zephaniah used a lot of poetic language. And that poetic language, it causes an emotional response in our hearts as we hear it, as it's being developed. It starts off with shock, and then we get understanding, and then acceptance. And finally, for those who love the Lord, His language leads us to a renewed commitment to repent and submit to the Lord. The shock is found in that opening statement in verse 2. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. The understanding comes when we read the following statements and realize that the flood and the sacrifice and the battle, those are the covenant curses that God had promised to send to punish unfaithfulness. And then starting in verse 14, we get to that emotional response of acceptance. This is a certainty, and it's brought to our hearts through the poetic use of repetition. You could see that when he said, verse 15, a day of, a day of, a day of, a day of, and then wrath, 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 and it builds up. And he uses similar sounding couplets to describe that day. And you can see as it's being read and, and absorbed by, the, by God's people, they could, it was almost like the beating of the sound of a of the beating of a drum that was getting more and more intense until it came to the final statement or the statement in verse 18. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. And then we're surprised by the word that's used in verse 18b. The development of the prophecy for exactly at that point when, when the drum beats are pounding and, and all we see is wrath and anger and our own sin and that we deserve the punishment of God, we read that the Lord is a jealous God. The word jealous, that reminds us of the second commandment, where the Lord gives his jealousy as for, for his people as the reason why they should not bow down to carved images. God's jealousy doesn't mean his envy of other gods, but his jealousy is an expression of his deep love for his bride, the church that he re- redeemed to serve Him only. His jealousy reminds us of his, the covenant relationship that He established with His church, the church that He rescued out of slavery. And His commandment to ensure that anything that tries to separate Him from His church will be removed and destroyed comes to our mind as we hear the word that He is a jealous God. And so for the faithful believers who see the Lord coming to the earth in wrath and judgment, enveloping even the covenant people of God who, who turn away from Him. The knowledge of God's jealousy is a glimmer of hope and light because it assures Him that as we are the faithful, the church, He's not coming to wipe us out. God is angry with the sinner. God has promised to destroy all the remnants of of rebellion from the earth. But since he has a jealous love for his church, he will ensure that rather than removing us from his sight and sweeping us away, he will come to bring us close to himself. And God did this through his son, Jesus Christ, who came to bear the covenant curses that everyone who believes in him deserve to suffer. The gospel message is that instead of seeing the flood again, seeing the fire, seeing the defeat in war we deserve, we may see the Son of God who came to the earth to redeem us, who came to the earth in love, in His jealous love for the church. The Lord announces that His Son, Jesus Christ, would be swept away in His anger instead of us that he would be the sacrifice in our place, that he would bear the punishment of suffering defeat at the hands of God's enemies, the punishment we deserve. So Zephaniah 1 teaches us about the weight of God's wrath that Christ bore for us and in our place so that we might understand what our sins deserve. Never make light of the work of Jesus Christ so that we can be incredibly grateful for the grace of God to us in Jesus Christ. When we read Zephaniah 1, we're seeing what Christ suffered for us when he came to the earth, especially when he died on the cross. He was drowned in God's wrath, so that you who believe in him might be able to remain in the ark of the church that God carries to new creation. He was swept away to death so that you might come into the promised land. He was sacrificed as a payment for sin so that you might receive the blessing of atonement without ever being punished. Christ was defeated by the kings of the earth who crucified him on the accursed cross, rejected by God and by man, so that you might share in the kingdom of peace that Christ has established in his resurrection, in his victory over the grave, over the punishment. When we read the form for the celebration of Lord's Supper next week, we particularly reflect on Christ as our substitute. We'll read together, the, we'll state together, He bore for us the wrath of God under which we should have perished eternally. We read, He was bound that we might be free from our sins. He suffered countless insults that we might never be put to shame, and the list continues. Brothers and sisters, reflect on the anger of God that our sins deserve. And then find comfort in the jealous love of God that does not tolerate any competition so that you might turn to Christ and follow Him with all your heart. He is truly the only way out of the danger. The gospel announcement of the Son of God who came to us to save us from the coming wrath Gives us a good understanding of the need to remain united to Jesus Christ by true faith. Gives us a renewed desire to follow Him as Lord and Savior in our lives. Being a Christian isn't a light matter. It's a matter of life and death, even eternal life or eternal death. Do you understand what you have? because you are united to Jesus Christ by true faith that we have symbolized in the celebration of Lord's Supper next week, the urgency of that prophecy of Zephaniah, the urgency which was upheld by the Lord Jesus himself when he came and he taught us how to live that urgency that the apostles repeated, that we even read about in 2 Peter chapter 3, it helps us to see the importance of remaining in Jesus Christ. You see, in Christ, we do not need to be afraid of the day of the Lord's anger that is drawing near because he has paid for the guilt of our sin when he died for us on the cross. And he has also fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law that Zephaniah reminded the people they needed to do if they were to escape God's wrath. In chapter 2, when Zephaniah told the faithful remnant to seek righteousness and humility, he was telling them to seek the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ the Son of God who came to earth to rescue us from the coming wrath. The possibility that Zephaniah announced in chapter 2 verse 3 when he said, he used the word perhaps. That possibility has been made real through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so we could have as a display text today as we walked in, Romans 5 verse 9, since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. When we see the judge of all the earth on the day of the Lord's, uh, the, the, the day of the Lord's coming, we will be looking at our Savior, our Savior who gave His life for us. And the Gospel message is that all those who turn to Christ Jesus, all those who receive Him in true faith as their substitute, we will be hidden in the day of the anger of the Lord. Zephaniah in chapter 2, verse 3, he used the word hidden or, or sheltered to describe what it is like to escape the, the stormy blast of God's anger. When we are united to Christ, He is like a, a bomb shelter who bears the brunt of God's outpouring wrath so that we might be preserved under Him. And it takes a heart that is true and humble, a heart that recognizes you cannot do it on your own strength, a heart that wants to live in fellowship with God and obedience to His commandments, a heart that trusts in the Lord. It takes a heart that's very humble to find shelter, in the Son, Jesus Christ. And having humbled ourselves to take shelter in the Lord's grace, to follow Jesus Christ as our only hope for life, we will seek to show our thankfulness. We will seek to strive to live in accordance with His will. That's why it's so important to pay attention to Zephaniah's prophecy. Because his prophecy also outlines in a very clear way what kinds of things offend the Lord and what kind of things please him. Zephaniah's prophecy shows us that the Lord hates it when the church tries to look like the world. The the Lord hates it when the children of believers in the covenant make economic well-being and comfort the biggest concern in their lives. Zephaniah shows us that the Lord hates it when covenant children are willing to accept idolatrous practices of the ungodly as well as those who are complacent in their hearts who live their lives going, well, God doesn't know. He can't see whether, He can't do anything good or bad. You see, instead of shamelessness over sin, The Spirit leads us in Zephaniah to imitate Christ's humility and to hunger and to thirst for righteousness. Now this isn't a requirement that demands perfection on our part, but seeking righteousness means seeking Christ, seeking what we could call a sinner's righteousness. A sinner's righteousness. It sounds like an oxymoron, but it can be compared to an honorary degree that has been given to someone even though they have not completed a course of study. It would be like calling someone an uneducated high school graduate. But that's what it is for us in Jesus Christ. We are declared righteous. Just as that person's degree is given to them as an undeserved gift so also the Lord promises to declare us righteous and innocent and as a free gift of grace if we repent, if we believe in Jesus Christ, if we hide in His righteousness. And once you are in Christ, it changes everything for you because it completely removes our fear of death. It completely removes our fear of the coming day of of the Lord's wrath. The danger that Zephaniah's prophecy warns about is not a danger that believers need to fear. Because by God's grace we can see that he has given us new hearts that seek him with a righteous and humble life. We read Zephaniah chapter 1 and we rejoice in the jealous love of our eternal, sovereign, covenant partner who sent His Son to die on a cross so that whoever believes in Him would never have to suffer His anger against sin. We rejoice to see how God has restored the relationship between between us, weak sinners, and He, Almighty God, who has called us by name. And so like trembling Flood, fire, or battle survivors walking now into a glorious paradise. We, we read Zephaniah 1 and we praise Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He saved us from the stormy blast of God's eternal wrath against sin so that we can live with our Creator in thankfulness, with a new life, for nothing will ever come between us again. We can understand why Zephaniah could tell his people to gather together. Yes, gather so that we might support one another in our common desire to remain in Christ. If you gather together in the unity of true faith as living members of the body of Christ, which is his church, you are sheltered from the coming wrath of God. God will not punish you again for the sins that have already been punished in Jesus Christ. There's an urgency in the prophecy. But that urgency is not for us who find rest in Jesus Christ. It's an urgency for those who do not know about the Holy Lord. For those who remain living a complacent life. For those who look just like the world, and have not yet repented from their sins. So may we have courage to speak to others about the truth of God's holiness. May we, as as young people point out, when things start to look a little too worldly in our lives, may we unite to Christ in faith. Because the day of wrath is drawing near. And we are righteous only in Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll now sing together the last two stanzas of Psalm 5, stanzas 8 and 9. Interesting note on this Psalm 5 is, was made a long time ago in Geneva. You could see 1542, the melody was put to the words and then when the first people went from Europe, the first missionaries, and they landed on Brazilian soil in the 1500s, this is the first psalm they sang on the beach, recognizing God is a holy God, but we depend on Him for grace. We can join our voices to Christians throughout the ages and through the, in, throughout the Old Testament as well as we turn to the Lord and seek shelter in His wings and His care. Psalm 5, stanzas 8 and 9.